which we must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. That's the only name. No other name. No other name. Because Jesus Christ is who he said he is. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. Man, what a blessed assurance you can have knowing that you're part of the family of God through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And what an honor it is to be a Christian, to be able to proclaim Christ to our community and to our world and to actually live for Christ. Man, that's just an honor. That's an honor. What a Savior. Man, he wants to be your Savior too. But you can't be saved unless you know you're lost. All of us are lost. All of us are born in sin, the Bible says. Man, we're, we're sinners. Separates us, separates us from a holy, loving God. Yet he still loves us, wants a relationship with us. And so he sent Jesus Christ to rescue us. Died on the cross, shed his blood, paid the price for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the world. And he rose from the dead, proving he is who he said he is. And the Bible says, for those who believe, that means trust in, rely upon Jesus Christ as the leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins, you're spiritually born again. That means you're a child of God. You've been forgiven, you know, your family, heaven's your eternal home. What an honor to be able to share that with you and to share that with the world. And if you're not sure if heaven's your home, you've been forgiven, man, we're gonna give you an opportunity today before the service is over to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and get saved. All right, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, getting saved. Jesus Christ, focusing on him, living for him, proclaiming him. And we've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's a great book to study through. We just started a couple weeks ago because there, that church, when you read this book, you think you're looking at the American church 2019, even though this letter was written almost 2000 years ago. This, this is a, a church in the city of Corinth, very materialistic, very immoral, like a lot of our big cities are. And, and we see the gospel of Jesus Christ change people's lives. And so this book gives me hope. I mean, it gives me hope because it, it tells us, you know, it depresses me too, because the problems we've been dealing with in the church 2,000 years ago, we're still dealing with the same problems now. So that depresses me, discourages me. But it also gives me hope because we see the power of the gospel to change lives in a city like this, you know, Corinth, you know, then there's still hope for us today. But it also reminds us how our mission and message is so urgent, you know? It's so urgent to get the message of Jesus Christ out into our community and around the world. And, and as your pastor, I want our church to be the most effective and, and as efficient as we can in our mission and in our message. As a Christian, as a personal, you know, as a Christian individual, I, I wanna be as effective and, and efficient as I can in doing what God's called me to do. And so we've been in this series, we're calling it Tidying Up. And you know, it's kind of like a play on words off that show, Tidying Up. And, and you know, it's been kind of neat about that. I've been getting pictures and texts and emails from people, from guys in our church taking pictures of how they're cleaning up their closets. You know, and even this morning, people come to me saying, hey, I got five bags out of my clothes. You know, I'm out of my closet. And you know what I'm thinking? Marriages are gonna be healed. I'm saying marriages are gonna be healed through all this. We're gonna see revival among the men in our church. Revival in our families from tidying up, just tidying up. And, you know, we're making fun with the show, you know, and, but it's something, spirit, you know, something serious with me, you know, as a church, as, as a person, as an individual, I got to tidy up. You know, the word tidy means to focus, to organize, to get cleaned up, to get uncluttered, you know, so that, so that you can be as efficient as you need to be. You know, we got a lot of baggage, a lot of stuff that's good in our life, but we don't need it. It's keeping us off focus as a church and as Christians, and so I see even as our church right here on this corner, we gotta tidy up. There's baggage and issues in our, in our personal lives, in our church that we gotta throw out. 
You know, we got to throw out and we got to focus on the things that are really going to make us effective. So that's what we're, we're studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. And the Apostle Paul, the first issue he dealt with and he told the church to tidy up with, and that's division and, and quarreling, quarreling and fighting in the church. And he addressed that issue first there in chapter one because Paul knew that when there are squabbles, scrabbles, scrabble, people squabbling in the church, it diminished the testimony of that church. When there's grumbling going on among believers, it makes it very difficult for people on the outside to take serious anything we got to say. They're not gonna hear God's love. Well, they hear about people bickering and talking about people and gossiping and fighting going on in this faction against that faction. And Satan loves that, breaks God's heart, but Satan loves it. And Satan would do everything he can to encourage conflict and division in the church. Did it back then 2,000 years ago? He's still doing it today. You know, as in chapter one, and in verse 18, it appears that, that Paul suddenly changes subjects because he starts talking about the cross and the foolishness of the cross to some people and the power of the cross to some people, but he's not changing subjects. We see that he goes back to the subject of division. We're gonna see that when we hit chapter three today. He goes back to it because it's very important. But in, there in chapter one, verses 18, he, he draws attention to the, the main conflict, you know, the main reason for conflict in the church. And that's that God's people were losing sight of what's important. And they started getting on who's their favorite teacher, who's their favorite preacher, what's their favorite style of music, whatever. They were getting on their preferences instead of what's important, and that's Jesus Christ. And, and that's so important because we got to remember it's Christ alone that changes people. You know, not religion, it's Jesus Christ that changes people. And if we do that, we'll spend more time talking about Jesus, sharing Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, living for Jesus, than we will fighting about stuff that doesn't even matter. And Paul showed that in chapter one, verse 18. He said, there's two different kinds of ways that people view the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. He said, one group sees it as foolishness. They see the cross of Jesus Christ as being foolish. I think he's not who he said he is. And the Bible says those people are unsaved, they're perishing, they're unsaved. Then he said there was another group that sees what Jesus Christ did to cross, what he did on the cross is very powerful because it saved their life. And those are the saved people. So we see there in chapter one, verse 18, two types of people, people who are lost, unsaved, and there's people who are saved, all right? Now in chapter three, Paul goes back to dealing with division in the church. And we see two kinds of people saved. You know, we see, we see two types of, of Christians, two types of saved believers. And that's, you got the mature Christian, the Christian who's growing in their faith, who's mature. But we also see the immature baby Christian. You know, a Christian just became a believer maybe or been a, a Christian for 50 years, but they're still babies. You know, they're not growing in their faith, they're immature. That's what we see right here. So church, let's tidy up with the Apostle Paul. We're in chapter three, verse one through nine. We're gonna look at the whole chapter, but let's read one through nine together. So if you're able, would you please stand with me in reverence and honor of God's holy word. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Who, after all, is Apollos? And, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he 
who plants, nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes it grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. You may be seated. That chapter three, three types of people, babies in the church. He's even talking about God's field. That last verse, verse nine, talking about farmers. You look at yourself as being either a baby, a farmer, or a builder. And that's kind of what the, the sections divide up in. So here's the background of the Corinthian church. You find it in Acts, the book of Acts chapter 18, where Paul came to the city of Corinth and he stayed there, the Bible tells us, for about a year and a half. And he started this church. He planted that church. He left. A guy named Apollos came in and took his place and was teaching and preaching there. And, and when Paul first started that church, of course, he had to bottle feed them the gospel. They didn't know any different. They never heard about Christ. So he, he spoon fed them. He gave them just the basics of who Christ is, what he did, how he can change your life. You know, they, they were baby Christians. They not heard about Christ before. And now Paul, you know, he, he's chastising the Corinthians because, because they're still at that level. It's been over a year and a half and they're still at that level. They hadn't moved. They haven't grown at all. You know, he wasn't upset with them because they began as a baby. We all began as a baby. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're spiritually born again. We're part of the family of God, but we're babies and we need people to feed us and help us grow. He wasn't upset with them because of that. He was upset with them because they, hadn't, they have not grown at all. And that was causing all kinds of problems in the church. They were still acting as babies. So the first section I think he tells them is this, grow up spiritually. He tells them they got to grow up spiritually. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. So now we see group, three groups of people. You got those who are perishing, those who are lost, those who are not Christians. Then you got the Christian who was like a baby. And other words are used for them. They're worldly, they're fleshly, they're Christians but they're not growing, they're babies, they're immature. And then you have the Christian, the third category, Christian who is mature. Not perfect, none of us are perfect, but that, that, that group of Christians, they're growing. They're considered spiritual, they're mature and they're growing. And Paul starts off by calling them brothers, believers, they're in the family. He's talking to Christians here and he says, you need to tidy up by growing up. You gotta grow up spiritually. And spiritual maturity means more than just learning a bunch of facts. You know, spiritual maturity means that we're growing to be more like Christ. We're Christ-like, which Christian means Christ-like. We're growing in our behavior to be more like Christ. We're growing to have the mind of Christ, the Bible tells us. That means we have the attitudes of Christ. We're growing beyond our formal, our formal way of thinking and acting. You know, the Christian faith is much more than just knowledge, knowing certain things. The Christian faith is doing with what you know. Man, we gotta obey what we know and, and behave a certain way that honors Christ. We're to move beyond what we used to be and now start thinking and acting like Christ the way God wants us to. And I believe as a church, there's a lot for me in here and for you in here, you know, we, we got to learn as a church. And when I say church, if you're a believer in Christ, you're part of the church. Man, we got to grow up. We do. We just got to grow up. Man, the world's getting worse immorally. We're seeing it. We're in a post-Christian nation now. I, that's, that's, where we're, that's where we live now, you know. And, and so we got to get serious about what God's called us to do. Our, our message is so urgent. It's so important. 
And, and as long as we buy into the world's philosophy and the world's way of thinking and believing, we will have the same kind of problems that the world has. And in fact, we do. We need to grow up. I mean, and you know, man, I love you guys, care about you, I'm your pastor. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. Been here a long time with you, seen a lot of things happen in your life. You've seen all three of my kids born and raised here too. But I, I just see things, we, and I'm so grateful and thankful. We got so many believers in our church who are mature and growing, but yet we have a lot of babies too, you know? And attendance for a lot of our folks is whenever they feel like it. As a pastor standing up here, I see we got almost like two different congregations. Every other week, somebody shows up, you know? They want, you know, very few people come consistently anymore, you know, and that's all across the country. Giving is irregular for most people. 20% of our people that come to our church give 80% of our budget. 20% of the people in our church do 80% of the work and leadership. Leadership, a lot of people don't wanna step up anymore in leadership. They only do it if they have the time and they don't wanna commit to anything long-term. Let's be personal, praying and reading the word. How often are you doing that? If all, all the only Bible study you get is me right here or Sunday school right here, you're gonna die. If you only ate one time a week, you would die. If definitely you'd be very unhealthy. And yet just don't think just because you come to church and you hear the word taught in Sunday school and Bible study in here and, and worship, that's enough for you. That's not enough for you. Man, you gotta learn to feed yourself and grow. How often are you doing that? Sharing the gospel. We believe Jesus Christ is who he said he is and he's changed our life. Who's the last person you shared with? Who's the last person you told your story to? I mean, sharing the gospel among God's people is almost non-existent today. There's so much apathy in the church. We just get in this routine of coming and, and, and we just have this apathy. We, we don't see the problems. And then we wonder why there are problems because we don't see the problems. A lot of us, we're just immature, and I'm not trying to offend you or anything. I'm trying to help you. There's times in my life I've gone, I've gone through that too. You know, you can revert back to being a baby, and, and, and I see that. We got to realize how important our message is, and Jesus Christ is for real. And, and this time is very urgent. Things are getting worse, so we got to take a stand for what is right. See, Paul knew that these guys were still babies. How? He knew they hadn't grown yet. Why? Because of verse three. He says, you're still worldly because there's jealousy among you. You're still fighting and quarreling among you. Aren't, aren't you worldly? That's what, that's what unsaved people do. That's not what God, God's people do. A person's spiritual throat can be so swollen with pride and self-reliance that they can even gag on milk. They don't even want to hear it. They don't even want to hear it. What's milk? Milk's the basics. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the cross and that's the first thing you and I need to get to become a believer in Jesus Christ. And that will help us on that path of humility and hope. Solid food are the deeper things of God. And please hear me, the solid food is not meant for smart people. It's meant for humble people. People who will humble themselves and realize that, man, they don't know it all and they need God's help and, and they wanna boast in God, not them. And they wanna give him all the glory for everything that happens in their life and in, in the world. And so we see the Corinthians, they're not lost people. These are not unsaved people he's talking to. These are, these are Christians, you know? But they're not mature Christians. They're not growing. That's why he wrote this letter. And we're gonna see as we go through this book, there's all kind of issues in this church. They were babies. They were worldly. They were fleshly. They were largely influenced by the old nature of pride. And so they boasted in men and they were jealous of each other. And there was division and strife among them. A couple of things, just, just real quick. 
Don't stop growing as a Christian. I mean, you always gotta be growing. If you're not, you're not sitting neutral. You're either going backwards or you're going forward. If you're not reading the word and praying and doing what God's called you to do, you're not gonna grow towards him. You're gonna drift away from him. So be careful about it. Don't stop growing in the Christian life. You, you and I have never arrived. We always need to be learning and growing. The second thing, don't be so quick to write off a struggler too. There's people who struggle. You don't know where they've been through, what they're going through. Help feed them, help love them, be patient with them. They're a baby, they're a beginning, a beginner. That's how you started. That's how I started. Don't expect them to know all the stuff you know, behave the way you behave. They don't know any better. So don't be so quick to write off a struggler, you know, somebody who's struggling in the faith. But also don't treat immaturity as a Christian. Don't treat immaturity as unimportant because immaturity could also be a sign of lostness. You know, they might be lost. They might be lost, you know. So we need, to, we need to pay attention and we need to pray. And, you know, everybody loves when a baby comes in the house. But what a tragedy it is if that baby never grows up. And when you think about babies, babies are absolute dependent on other people, right? They need to be fed. They can't walk. They can't talk. They got, you know, they're very selfish. They want what they want when they want it. They like to be the center of attention, I mean, they can't focus. They can't see very far when they're babies. And as Christians, that's how we start off. But we can't stay there. The problem with American church is too many people have stayed there. You know, we are committed in Scripture there in 2 Peter to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're to grow. Once you become a Christian, man, it's not over. Your life's just beginning now. Now you're to live the Christian life and follow Christ. At the moment we put our faith and trust in Christ, we were rescued. We're spiritual babies, spiritually born again, the Bible says. We're, we're born in God's family and people feed us. They feed us milk, the Christian faith, the basics of the faith. But as a baby grows, you know, its diet also changes now to solid food. And you got to learn how to feed yourself on the deeper things of God. And you gotta learn how to feed others. As you mature, you learn how to feed others. Men, this is in there. This starts today, these Bible studies. This is a great way, baby, to, to jumpstart you growing again. We got these uh, Bible studies over for the next six weeks. They started this morning. Some started this morning, some are tonight. There's some Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We got different times. It's not too late. They start this week. And you can still sign up in Home Point Center. The book's there. And it's not just a one-hour class. But also, that book has devotions in it all week, you know, for the next six weeks. So our men can come together and study and dive into God's Word and learn what does it really mean to be a godly man, to be a godly single, to be a godly father, a godly husband. We don't know. The world has messed us up and confused us. And so God's word helps us to tidy up and get focused and uncluttered and get focused on what our role. So man, this is a great way for us to jumpstart and to start growing again. See, in the spiritual world, in the spiritual world, a baby's Christian growth is up to him. It's up to her. And, and, and there's Christians in this church who have been saved many, many years, many years, a lot longer than me, but spiritually they're still babies. They don't understand the deeper things of God. So how do babies grow up spiritually? Two main ways, you gotta eat and you gotta exercise, you gotta eat. You gotta, means you gotta digest God's word. There's no rocket science to this. You gotta read God's word, you gotta learn God's word, you gotta digest it, know it. And then you gotta exercise, that means obey it, put it into practice, obey the word of God. Obey, obey and apply the word of God to your life. You know, it's, it's not a secret. 
You grow by reading the word, knowing the word, and living the word. And spiritual growth is up to you. You can't blame me. You can't blame your wife or your husband or your mom or your dad. You're as close to God as you choose to be. Spiritual growth is up to you. Peter wrote us that God gives us everything we need to grow. And, and there's a great verse. Write this verse down. I want you to read it when you go home. 2 Timothy, I mean, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. 2 Peter 5, 2 Peter, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. Because it tells us right there what, as you grow, it tells us what that growth looks like. Make every effort to add to your faith. Add what? Goodness. And to your goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, kindness. And to brotherly love, kindness and love. It says this, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... So you keep growing in these things. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. So that, you know, as you and I grow to be more godly and have more knowledge and have more self-control and persevere in godliness and kindness and love, man, these are the things that we need to be growing in. We must grow up spiritually. Second, we must grow up together. I, I see Paul talking to them about growing up together and he goes, what after all is a polis? You know, they start fighting about this. They, they grow up spiritually and they're fighting now over who the best teacher is, who the best pastor is. And instead, we gotta see something. Man, we're not in competition with each other. Man, we're in this thing together. We're all servants. And Paul was reminding you know, the Corinthian church that, that Paul and Apollos were only servants who did their assigned task. Verse five, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord had assigned each to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he nor plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Man, that's so important. Paul's job was to go and plant the seed. He shared the gospel, that's evangelism. Apollos came along later and helped to water the seed, helped disciple them. Farmers know they gotta do both. You gotta do both in order to have a harvest. You know, we all have different gifts and abilities and passions and some, some are more gifted at evangelism. It comes more natural for them to share their faith and, and for others it comes more natural for people to sit down with people one-on-one -on -one and help them study the Bible and learn what it means to be a Christian. But both of, all of us have both jobs to do. Here's the two jobs, you know, growing up together. We gotta plant seeds, plant seeds. That means share the gospel. All of us are called to share the gospel. That's evangelism. And then second, we gotta help them grow. We gotta help them grow, that's called discipleship. Help people know what it means now to follow Christ, to understand the Bible. And like I said, we, we have certain strengths in these and, and all that, but, but just as a farmer needs to do both, we need to do both. And it's important that we don't get discouraged in our work because our job is simply to plant the seed, to share the message and, and to cultivate them, to help them grow. You know, I mean, it's to cultivate them, you know? We're to share the seed, we're to plant the seed and water the seed, but only God can help make that seed grow. You know, we plant the seed, we water it, but our job is not to make them grow. That's God's job. We get discouraged sometimes if we don't see results because we like to see results, I like to see results, but God is in, in control of the results. And that should be an encouragement to us. Just do our job. Live the gospel, share the gospel, help people understand the gospel, but leave the results up to him. And we see a couple things here. We see a diversity of ministries. In the church, we all have a part to play. We just need to grow up and play it. You know what? 
And we have, there's a diversity of ministry. We have a unity of purpose. We have a unity of purpose. Verse eight, the man who plants and, and the one who waters has one purpose. It's all for Jesus Christ to point people to Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, and each one will be rewarded according to his own labor. These men that they were arguing about who's better, who's the better teacher, this and that, they were not competing with each other. Man, they were grown-ups just doing their job. And in the church, we need to pull up our big boy pants and pull up our big girl pants and do, do what God called us to do and do our job. You know, we're diverse in ministry. It takes all of us. No job is more important than other. We need to be united in our purpose. It's all about Christ. There's a unity of spirit here in verse nine. It says, for we are all God's fellow workers. There's a unity of spirit. We're all God's fellow workers. And so I wanna challenge you this week to put this into practice. I, I wanna challenge you to either plant a seed Share the gospel, share Jesus Christ with somebody, share your story, how he changed your life. Or water a seed. I mean, help a Christian grow who's struggling in their faith. Remember a couple weeks ago, I gave us all a challenge. At least once a month, I'm asking all of us, at least once a month for you to plant a seed. Share the gospel with somebody who doesn't go to church, who is you know, not a Christian. Share the gospel at least once a month. You know, 90% of churchgoers never share the gospel in an entire year, not even one time. So I'm encouraging you to do it at least once a month. Water a seed, plant a seed. Think of all the people you encounter every day. Do something to let them know you appreciate them, to show Christ's love to them. I mean, that's how you open that door. Share your story, be attentive. God's probably already put those people around you. He's already put them in your world. Church, we gotta, we gotta tidy up and grow up spiritually and we do it together and we gotta do it biblically. What I love about God's word, he doesn't just say do this. He tells us how to do it. You know, grow up biblically, biblically. And we see that there in verses 10 through the rest of the book. We talked about the builder. Paul now uses the analogy of being, analogy of being a builder who's got to submit their work to inspection. We got to grow up and we do it together and we must do it biblically. And he pictures the church of God as similar to a building that's being constructed. And he lets us know like the strength of the building, the strength of that building depends on its foundation and the type of material that's used in that building. And we're told that God's gonna inspect our work. This is one inspection you should not take lightly. If you wanna pass, if you wanna build biblically, Paul tells us what we need to do. First, you gotta build on the right foundation. Verse 10 and 11. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it but each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's gotta be about Jesus Christ. You're spiritually born again because of Jesus Christ. He's our foundation, you know? Most of the foundation is hidden when you think of a building. And in much the same way, the foundation that one builds their life on will determine the strength of your life spiritually or the strength of a church. That foundation that's built on Jesus Christ. You know, he, he's, he's the foundation. Paul says the only true sufficient foundation is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That means our convictions, our values, our attitudes come from Jesus Christ. He's our foundation. And, 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 and as we build our church on Jesus Christ, who he is and how he lived and what he said, then we're building on a true and lasting foundation. No matter what storms come our way, and the storms are gonna come our way. Practically, that means that our confidence in life is anchored to Jesus Christ and the work that he did for us on our behalf on the cross, rather than the things we do or the programs or the things we produce. 
Practically, practically, that means that our values in life are drawn from the word of God that never changes rather than from the opinion polls of the worldly experts. Practically, that means our direction in life comes more and more from the spirit of God through his word, through the word of God, than through the fads of our day. Practically, that means our attitude in life is increasingly being filled with gratitude for the mercy and grace of God for Jesus Christ rather than having this sense of entitlement that's so common today. There's so many unworthy foundations that people build their life on. Human wisdom, human might, human riches. People build their lives and foundation and future on those things, and those things always crumble. They can be taken from you tomorrow. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus Christ talks about this in detail. There's two homes being built, one being built on the rock, one being built on the sand. And when the storm came, because the storms always come, when the storm came, the one built on the rock, it stood, had a solid foundation. The one built on the sand collapsed. And in that parable, Jesus Christ tells us what that foundation is. There in chapter seven of Matthew, verse 21, Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's obedience, is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. It's obedient to Jesus Christ that will keep us stable when craziness happens around us. Jesus is saying, you obey me now. When the storm comes, you're gonna endure later. You disobey me now, the storms are still gonna come and you're gonna be a disaster later. And so you gotta build on the right foundation. Second, you gotta build with the right material, you know, which is obedience to Christ, God's truth. And we see that in verse 12. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, and straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. I believe Bob, Paul's talking about the doctrines of the word of God, the truths of God's word, building it with the right material, God's truth, God's word, obedience to God's word. The Corinthians were trying to build their church by man's wisdom, the wisdom of their world. And they should have been depending on the wisdom of God found in God's word. And God is concerned about the quality in the church. He's concerned about that. He's, he's concerned about the quality in the lives of his people. He wants us to build with gold and silver and precious stones using God's wisdom. Unfortunately, we're inclined to do shortcuts and use wood and hay and straw and do what comes natural and do the world's wisdom. You know, it's very tempting to build God's church and to build our lives using shortcuts. It is, I see it in the church all the time. You know, I've done it too at times. You know, we choose to, to do what will draw a crowd rather than what will build a commitment. We pursue what is showy instead of what is solid and biblical. We proclaim pipes, pop psychology instead of sharing a difficult truth about sin. We do what we have to do instead of doing all that we can do. We choose convenience. We choose comfort over sacrifice and risk for Christ. We strive to keep up with the world rather than live apart from it. And all those things are wood and hay and straw. Notice several things here. First, God's the inspector. Verse 13, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. On judgment day, the believer's work's gonna be tested as to his spiritual quality. 
Did you build your life for Christ? Did you really work for Christ? Second, the solid work that you had will be rewarded. Verse 14, if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward, an award in heaven, but also you'll be rewarded and blessed in this world. A third thing I want you to see is this, worthless work will be consumed. It could be good work. It could be good stuff, but it's worthless. It will be consumed. Verse 15, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. God knows what you're doing. He knows why you're doing it. God knows, God sees, and the truth will be revealed. Worthless work will be consumed. Solid work will be rewarded. Notice that our building materials, this is important too. Notice we saw it in verse 15. Our building materials do not determine our salvation. They determine our rewards. Verse 15 says, he himself will be saved, but by the, only by escaping through the flames. In other words, you know, he's saying we are saved. We are spiritually born again. We're made right with God because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and our faith and trust in him. We are now rewarded based on what we do in Christ. We do not work to gain salvation. We work hard because we are children of God, because we have salvation. And we will be rewarded for what we do for Christ here on this earth. So if you wanna pass God's inspection, we need to grow up and humbly obey the Lord rather than trust in the wisdom of man. Real quick, couple applications for us as we grow up. I think as a church, pastor the church as a church, when all is said and done, Everything we do here in our church should be for Christ. Every program we do, and we do this in staff, we have staff meeting almost all day, a couple hours on Monday, every Monday. And we talk about what happened on Sunday, what we need to do, what's coming up, you know. Um, we should always be asking, are we proceeding on biblical principles? Meetings that you're having, your Sunday school class, we should always be asking, are we proceeding on biblical principles or are we following the principles of the world? Are we pursuing God's agenda or are we pursuing our own agenda? Are we making disciples, followers of Christ? Or are we simply just trying to gather a crowd? Are we arguing about silly stuff? It doesn't even matter. We need to do regular inspections of our foundation, even as a church. And, and what kind of building material we use in here at our church? As a church, we need to look at that together as Christians. Personally, personally, we need to ask ourselves, on what foundation am I building my life on? Are you anchored to the person and work of Jesus Christ? Do you have faith and trust in him? Are you been, have you been spiritually born again? Are you building your life on the sands of public opinion, on material wealth, on, on temporary pleasure, on the experts of our day? If you're not sure about your foundation, you need to take action today. Don't put it off. I mean, don't put it off. Things will never be right in your life until your foundation is right. They're never gonna be right. Always something's gonna be missing. You need to come to Jesus Christ, confess your sins, put your faith and trust in him alone as your Lord and Savior. And we're gonna pray in a moment. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. But also personally, we need to be asking, Christian, what kind of quality, what kind of quality building material am I using on my foundation? You know, what kind of quality am I doing? What's my life characterized? What kind of quality is it? Is it the best or is it leftovers? Is my life being characterized by excuses, shortcuts, nice sounding words, compromising with the way of the world? Are you trying to follow Jesus Christ with as little inconvenience as possible? You only giving him lip service? Are you apathetic about the things of God? If so, you gotta make some changes. We need to pursue what will last rather than what will be forgotten. We gotta pursue the best, what God wants for us instead of the good. 
And so we need to pursue a godly church, a godly legacy. And so church, man, we need to tidy up and grow up. You pray with me. This is a time where you talk to God, talk to him from your heart. If you're serious about what you say, man, hear, answer, hear, hear that prayer, hear, answer that prayer. And if you're not sure that your life is built on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, you can be, you can know. Right now, talk to God. Say, God, man, I wanna build my life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. I know I'm a sinner, please forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God who died on the cross for my sins, who rose from the dead. And I wanna put my faith and trust in him as the leader of my life as my savior. I wanna build my life in obedience to him. Save me, help me. And Father, I pray for those people who, who prayed that right now to you and they meant it and you know if they meant it. Father, give them a peace knowing you heard it. You answered that prayer, that their sins are forgiven, that they're part of your family, they've been spiritually born again, that heaven's their eternal home. Father, give them courage to tell somebody so we can come alongside them as their church family and help them now learn what it means to grow and to become more like Christ through the ups and downs and heartaches and joys of this world. And Father, I pray for many of us are your children, but we're not been growing like we should. We've stagnated. And we got our reasons why. Some are just excuses. But Father, we've stagnated. And you deserve better than that. And you've called us to greater things than that. So, Father, I pray you do a work in us. Stir our hearts. Spark revival in our own lives. Father, you do what you need to do. This is God's invitation for us here. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.